Hello, vampires and slayers. This is Mixtress Ray, and you're listening to What's This Bitch Talking About? To which the answer to that question is usually every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer exactly 20 years after its original air date, but we're doing the summer of talking about movies 20 years later. Um, I'm not doing an exact, like, 20 years later. It's just a general. So movies that came out in the year 2000, I know this is my only... This is only my second one, and it's August 19th. So I apologize for being so uh, so much of an underachiever on, in the summers. Like I always tell you guys, I'm going to do something, some crazy, awesome movie project, and then I um, drastically underdeliver. However, you know, it's already it's already happened. I've already drastically underdelivered. So let's just move on. <laughs> So, um, I put a poll up on my Patreon for anyone, you don't have to be a patron, to vote on it. And in fact, the summer's not over yet, so if you want to head over, it's one of my pinned posts. So it is patreon.com slash mixtressray, M-I-X-T-R-E-S-S-R-A-E. So you can go ahead and answer that poll still. I put a list of possible movies that I'd like to do um, for the summer. So yeah, get in there. I've only had a couple of votes on that poll. So I got one vote for Miss Congeniality and one vote for High Fidelity. So at the very least, let's see, let's just do a little bit of business. Our, we will start talking about season five of Buffy. For those of y'all that are only here for the Buffy episodes, that's totally okay. No judgment. Um, we will be able to start talking about the first episode of season five on September 26th, which means we have, let's see, one, two, three, four, about four-ish weeks until then. So um, I don't know how many more movies I will talk about. I'm not going to overpromise, so that I can't under-deliver. <laughs> but my goal is to at the very least talk about high fidelity since I got a vote for that and the cell because the cell is a really important movie to me however if I don't get to that one then I will talk about it at some later date um I've been thinking about I mean like this Buffy project I mean I know we're only about to start season five so I still have another two years um, before I have to really start thinking about what this podcast is going to become once I finish my Buffy project. Um, and I will definitely be putting polls up and asking you guys what you think we should do after that. I've, I've got some ideas in my head. I'd like to keep the general spirit of the podcast going so I could just do like movies 20 years later, just continue on with that. I could do like Veronica Mars 20 years later or any of my other favorite TV shows. Um, we can talk about that when we get there, but it's just something I was thinking about today, so I thought I'd mention it. So at the very least, I'm going to cover High Fidelity, but I would really like to also cover The Cell, and if y'all vote on any other movies from the year 2000 on my Patreon poll, um, those will get first priority. Um, so my general plan at the moment is to review High Fidelity, like either next week or the one after. Um, yeah, anyway. But today we're talking about Miss Congeniality. I just watched it. 
Um, it hasn't been that long since the last time I saw it, and I've only seen it like I've seen it less than five times. It's not like one that I've watched over and over over the years. I think I watched it when it first came out. Then I watched it again like a couple years ago and then just now. So it's not a movie I have a ton of experience with, but it's a movie that I find to be fun. And overall, I still feel that way. There weren't that many problematic things about this movie being 20 years old movies movies from 20 years ago usually piss me off quite a bit as far as like the social representation of culture pop culture in general we have really come that's really the only aspect i feel like society has come a long way in is that like as far as like representation is still a big problem in pop culture but as far as like a lot of the punching down humor that was a staple in pop culture up until like maybe 10 years ago that that particular aspect of pop culture humor especially like movies and tv and all that has really made leaps and bounds. So usually a movie from 20 years ago, that kind of stuff is really glaring. But this movie doesn't have a whole lot of that. This movie isn't too terrible in that respect. Um, but let's just get into it. Um, Miss Congeniality. So I first, I, I remembered that I have this on VHS. <laughs> so y'all know Homegirl has... Um, a, v a VCR hooked up at all times. I don't know why I just called myself homegirl, you guys. I apologize. Like, I think that's the first time in my life I have said that. Um, okay, so probably also the last. Um, anyway, I have a VCR hooked up, plugged in, ready to go at all times. So I popped that tape in there and went for it. Um, pros of watching it on VHS the there was one preview on the VHS tape and it was a preview for like the best of friends compilation or something and it was cute and that was it you know like these days you pop in a blu-ray and there's like legit 15 to 20 minutes of previews and commercials sometimes that you can't bypass as easily as just pressing fast forward on a VHS tape. Um, so that's the pro of watching it on VHS. The con, there was like some problems with the sound, which like the tracking and the sound, there was like a weird hum after the first like 20 minutes of the movie. So I ended up switching to DVD because I remembered, oh yeah, I have this on DVD. <laughs> It's probably also on Netflix, but I, I'm old school. I'm going to watch it on like actual physical media if I can, you know, so I don't have to use up my internet. <laughs> anyway, um, another con for watching it on VHS, you can't turn on the subtitles. I discovered, I don't know, some years ago, five-ish years ago, that it's a lot easier for me to understand plots in movies and TV if I turn the subtitles on. So I always have the subtitles on. In fact, I, 
I all so often I have I mean every single time I'm watching something and I have the capability to turn on subtitles I do so like the only time I'm ever watching a movie without subtitles is when I go to the theater and sometimes I'm like I wonder if you can call I mean surely that's a service that movie theaters provide right let me know if you guys have any information on this mixtress radio at gmail is where you can email me your thoughts anytime I'd love to hear your input and have conversations with you guys. Um, what? I just lost my train of thought. I mean, that has to be a service that like for deaf people that they could, you know, get someone to call ahead for them and have, or maybe there's a way to request it online that the theater, like you probably have to do it ahead of time, but surely they have the capability to have subtitles. Or do you just have to bring an interpreter with you to sign for you during a movie? Like, how do deaf people go to movies? This is actually an important question. I am going to actually be studious for once in my life and pause and look that up. Okay, now I'm incredibly like, okay, so f first of all, full disclosure, I just did five minutes of research. So I in no way have a grasp on the entire experience of a deaf person going to the movies. I have... A, a very like anecdotal understanding based on just like five minutes of Googling and watching um, a YouTube video where a couple of deaf people went to the movies and described how their experience usually is going to the movies. So basically what there is, there's a machine called a captive view, which is like this weird, like um, little LCD. It's not even yeah it's like lcd led not even led it's like a weird little like it looks like clock radio technology what is that led lcd i don't know <laughs> but it's like this weird little tiny view screen on an arm that attaches to a cup holder insert so you ask for a captive view so they were going to alamo draft house which is actually a theater that that's the theater that i usually go to i either go to this local theater that i have in town that's really cool and shows like old movies or i go an hour away to the alamo draft house which is a lot of fun because you can you know get drinks and and food and yeah, anyway it's fun for me because I am a hearing person. And even though I have whatever, I don't even have a definition for it, but whatever my cognitive disabilities are, it's hard for me to understand what's going on without subtitles. And anyway, so they ask for a captive view, which is what this thing is, that it basically displays subtitles on it has like the information of the movie that you're watching and it's supposed to time up so that it shows you the subtitles at the right time, but it's only for that person. Like my thought was like, couldn't you just call ahead and they could like turn the subtitles on or use a version of the movie? Like, why don't they just provide a version of the movie that has subtitles? So, or, and they could have specific showings for people that want subtitles. Like I understand, you know, if you're having like, if it's a super popular movie, you have five showings a day of that particular movie. Only probably one of them would be like subtitle accessible, but why couldn't they just have something like that? Anyway, I'm really outraged for deaf people right now, <laughs> which unfortunately, <laughs> like what I'm doing right now is not accessible to deaf people. So I'm also part of the problem. Anyway, 
what they were talking about was, so they, first they asked for these captive view machine things because that was their only option for um, being able to enjoy a movie. And it took the employees a while to find the devices, to understand what they wanted, A, and then to find them, B, and then to, like, unscrew them and get the batteries changed and it was like they'd never done it before and they didn't really know what they were doing and they were almost late to the movie because they had to wait a really long time for the employees to get their shit together and give them these captive view devices and then when they got to the movie they were they were filming during the movie and showing and the movie um this the captive view was for some reason it was displaying the captions for a movie that they weren't actually watching so it wasn't helpful to them at all and um, the the deaf people in the video they were um, they were describing it as um, they were like this always happens <laughs> this is always this is always what it's like um, and basically they were just showing how it is how difficult it is you know people employees are not equipped to accommodate them and they also complained that the captive view devices were super dirty like they probably hadn't been cleaned in a really long time and anyway super fucking frustrating um i'm so sorry i want to say i'm so sorry to anyone that is deaf or hard of hearing that can't enjoy the movies but i'm talking to you on a podcast so presumably everyone that is engaging with this can hear if i ever i will make a personal promise to you right now if i ever am to the point in my life where like i'm making enough money to actually get paid for my podcast and stuff like that, I will either start a transcription service for my podcast that I do myself, or I'll hire, I will hire someone to do that. Cause I know there are some podcasts that do that. They actually have people on staff that transcribe their episodes for them. Um, if you're interested in doing that, at this point, I don't make any money from this podcast. Um, I do have a Patreon, but I have like six patrons so i make like less than 50 dollars a month which is totally fine and i'm super appreciative of that but what i'm saying is if you would like to become a transcriber for my podcast episodes um i would not be able to pay you i would try to give you some kind of perks or something in exchange let me know if you're interested in that process that is something that i'm definitely interested in doing um just in general okay Anyway, I did not know I was going to go on that little sidetrack, but it sounds like it's incredibly frustrating to enjoy movies in the theater for people that are deaf and hard of hearing. And I was sitting here complaining about the fact that I can't have subtitles because it makes it a little harder for me to understand the plot. Okay, I'm shutting up now. Okay. <laughs> anyway, so cons of watching the VHS tape of Miss Congeniality. You can't turn on subtitles. If there's an issue with the tracking or sound or whatever, you can't really fix it. Um, what else was a problem while I was watching the VHS? Oh, I don't have a remote for my VCR, so I couldn't really... I had to get up every time I wanted to pause or rewind, which is something that I do often whenever I'm doing this type of thing because I pause it a lot so I can take notes, but I couldn't do that while I was watching the VHS. So anyway, when the sound problem started about 20 minutes in, I just switched to my DVD. <laughs> um, so I'm now going to donate my VHS tape to the library, which is where I bought it from in the first place. So 
Um, I had totally forgotten that I had the DVD because I found it at Target or something like a year or so ago, and it was Miss Congeniality and Miss Congeniality 2, which is actually not a terrible movie either. <laughs> I remember watching that a few years ago and going, hmm, this isn't terrible. <laughs> it's got Nick Offerman in it. Okay. So um, I forgot that I had bought a copy from Target for like three fifty or $5 or something, so... I'll just switch to my DVD, and I don't like having redundant things, so I am going to get rid of my VHS tape of Miss Congeniality. <laughs> oh god, not that you guys care. Anyway, so one thing that I found interesting about this movie, despite the fact that it was made 20 years ago, um, usually even now, with this type, with this type of movie, you would have, it's a portrayal of a girl. Hashtag not like other girls. There would usually be a lot of like explanation and flashbacks in a movie like this to kind of explain why she's not like other girls. What kind of abuse or tragedy did she suffer as a child that made her the way that she is? And one thing that I noted while I was watching it is this movie doesn't have any of that. The movie begins with one flashback that just shows. Sandra Bullock's character being a badass chick that is rejected by other people because she's a badass chick, because she's hashtag not like other girls, so it's still a trope, but that's all it was. It was just showing that she's kind of always been the way that she is. She's always been a tomboy that's rejected by women and men because she doesn't really fit into the category, to the gender binary. I mean, that's not the way that the movie frames it, but that's the way I'm interpreting it. She doesn't fit into the gender binary. So she's always been rejected by people. And it doesn't show anything about her family life growing up. She never even mentions like her mom or dad or like anything like that. As I was reading like the trivia on IMDb for the movie, one of the things that was mentioned was there was a whole scene and a backstory that talked about her mom being an FBI agent and dying in the light of duty and that's why she vowed to become a cop and blah 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 which is fine it would have been a fine story element that you would really expect to see that kind of story element in a movie like this however I'm glad they took it out they I guess they decided that Sandra Bullock's performance was nuanced enough that you had enough sympathy for the character sympathy and empathy for the character that you didn't need that kind of backstory to back it up and I really like that I think more movies should do that like you don't always need a prequel you can just like jump into a moment in someone's life and still um you know still resonate with them as a character especially if they're a good actor like Sandra Bullock which by the way I'm pretty sure that society is now totally on board with Sandra Bullock but I can remember like I've been a fan of hers forever and I can remember it not being cool five or ten years ago to like Sandra Bullock even though she's an incredible actress and she's so fucking hilarious she's great at physical comedy she's I love her I love her so much and I'm so glad that people are like letting letting you love women now I mean like it sounds stupid but it's true like we're allowed to love women now it's not like a guilty pleasure to have a favorite actress I don't know <laughs> that sounds stupid but like 
Sandra Bullock is a badass, and I love her so much, and I'm glad that I got a vote for this movie, and I get to talk about it with you guys. Okay. Anyway, Sandra Bullock produced this movie, and it was written by, I didn't write down the names. It had, like, three writer credits. One of them was a man, and the other two were women. And it's directed by a man, but... This movie is largely non-sexist. I mean, it has its moments that piss me off. We'll get there. But it's mostly just a, a good time. It's mostly just a fun movie. There you go. So, let's see. I don't know how much I want to describe the plot. I mean, y'all have probably seen Miss Congeniality, but if not, the general plot is that Sandra Bullock is... An FBI agent and she has to go undercover at a beauty pageant to figure out what's going I don't even remember like what got them started but they found out that like spoilers <laughs> they found out that the person that ran the pageant one of the hosts um, who's played by Candace Bergen uh, Murphy Brown um, was trying to sab she got had gotten fired but she hadn't told everyone that she was going to be fired after this particular pageant airs for this year um and she was planning to sabotage and kill whoever won the crown just because she was vindictive and hateful and spiteful about being fired or whatever um anyway so sandra bullock is sent undercover to be in the pageant to kind of figure out what's going on behind the scenes so they can hopefully solve the case of like whatever it was that got them I don't even fucking know whatever um so that's the general plot of the movie and the whole the whole conceit the whole spiel is spiel that's not the right word the whole thing is she's a tomboy she is not at all girly no one sees her as a girl so it's hilarious that she's gonna be in a beauty pageant whatever um but it's a fun movie okay um yeah i don't really think i don't know like all the notes that i made i'm like meh I think just overall, it's a fun movie. Like, I don't know how much I want to say about it, but I am going to go through my notes. I'm just not going to tell you all my notes, probably. So at first I was kind of speculating, okay, how old is she? For some reason, I'm always obsessed with that. How old is she supposed to be? How old is she really? Like, I always look that shit up when I'm watching movies. Um, so she's playing someone that's 30 years old. And um, Sandra Bullock is actually 36 at the time that she made this movie. Um... Oh, <laughs> I made a note. The older the movie, the less overstimulating. So it's just something that I've noticed in general that like movies used to give you like a little bit of time, you know, like there was a whole scene showing like somebody putting together a bomb and like soldering things and like writing um, a threatening letter. They were showing like the letter being like written and then printed and it wasn't like a super long scene, but it was long enough that you got to like take a moment and kind of realize what you were looking at. And movies now are like the editing is so fast paced with most movies now. And there's so many explosions and it's so loud. And like, maybe I just watched too many Marvel movies, but, um, yeah, 
it's movies are it, it it just goes back like as far back as you go like you watch movies from the 90s they're way less overstimulating than they are now you go back to movies from the 80s even less you know like all the way back to like i really can't watch for the most part like i haven't spent a ton of time in my life watching movies from like the 40s and 50s but every time i do try to watch a movie from that era i'm kind of bored from like how slow paced everything is how long each scene takes to really like take in um anyway that was just a note that was just something that i thought of um I did so this is one of those movies it's a trope of like a beautiful woman that you're supposed to think isn't beautiful because she's wearing glasses or whatever I think they did a decent job at like portraying a sloppy Sandra Bullock in the first you know third of this movie before she gets the makeover because I think she actually let her eyebrows grow out for the movie like they look real to me before she they get them plucked you know her hair is super messy um it's possible she's even wearing a wig because they're just trying to make it look like she has a lot of very messy hair um they dress her in like clothes that don't really fit her it's not just a take your hair down and take your glasses off and ooh, she's beautiful like it is an actual transformation even though she's still Sandra Bullock you know you can't hide the fact that she's beautiful but um, they did a decent job you know it wasn't like the oh god I saw this movie I don't even remember what it was this movie where like the characters run into a couple of women that lived in a tree and they had hairy legs and it was like a big joke that man these chicks are so hot and they want me and blah 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 but then they see their legs and they're hairy and so it shows a shot of their hairy legs and I always think about this because they didn't the actresses didn't just let the hair grow out on their legs it was fake hair and it was like supposed to look fake so you would think oh it's not like these actresses would actually have hairy legs of course not this is just something they had to do for the movie anyway <laughs> that's just one of my pet peeves if you're supposed to have straggly overgrown hair then just make your hair straggly and overgrown just like actually do the work you know and Sandra Bullock did I mean all she had to do was let her eyebrows be natural which looks completely normal for like you know eyebrow styles of nowadays eyebrows are super hairy right now so um God, you remember those fucking overplucked, thin ass? I mean, no shade if that's the kind of eyebrows you have and that's the kind of eyebrows you like. Do you? But it's just always kind of bugged me, just visually. So, again, no shade if you're into that. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to insult anybody's eyebrow style choices, okay? But I like the bushy ones, and that's what I have unfortunately mine are really sparse so they don't actually look great bushy but whatever it's what I got and it's what I do <laughs> what you guys I'm not drinking I mean I'm drinking but it's Diet Dr. Pepper did you know that there's an aluminum shortage that's what people at the grocery store say anyway I at first okay so my drink of choice is cherry diet Dr. Pepper for months now I haven't been able to find that but now you can't even find diet Dr. Pepper in cans. I mean, you can in some places, like it's not completely gone, but 
the places that I go to try to find it, I have not found it. So I had to start buying bottles, which I hate because like, I don't want to put plastic in the universe. Anyway, why is this talking about things that aren't the movie day on what's this bitch talking about? The soundtrack to this movie is kind of fun. There's the salt, there's salt and pepper, none of your business. There's, um, it's kind of a drag soundtrack. There's she's a lady dancing queen. I think those are the only three songs that I wrote down, but it's, it's a decent soundtrack and it's kind of a draggy soundtrack. It's kind of a draggy movie. Representation wise, this movie is not terrible. In the pageant, there were several nationalities represented. Miss Hawaii was actually Hawaiian. Um, New York, Miss New York was black, which makes total sense for New York. Yeah. Um, so it wasn't a completely whitewashed movie. Could it have been better? Of course there was, um, Michael Caine, was he actually, oh my God, is he still with us? First of all. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Michael Caine is still with us. He's 87 years old. He's married to someone named Shakira, not that Shakira. So he's not gay. Um, Hey, she's not super Asian appropriate either. She's 73. So, I mean, he was 14 when she was born, but that's not terrible. <laughs> anyway. Um, so Michael Caine plays a gay person in this movie. When I first started watching it, I was like, is he queer coded or is he actually playing a gay character? He is actually playing a, a gay character, unfortunately, and it's not an actual gay man playing a gay character. But for the year 2000, most gay characters were either heavily made fun of or they were just queer coded and it was left up to your interpretation if you wanted to see them as gay. But in this movie, it's he's actually playing an actual gay character and there is like one kind of like shitty joke in the beginning, but that's the only one. And it was subtle, like um, when... Eric, the character Eric, um, meets him for the first time and he realizes that he's gay. He kind of like gets uncomfortable for a second and he leaves really quickly. Um, when he was gonna have a dinner with that character and Sandra Bullock and he was like, oh, actually rain check because, uh, Michael Caine's character like came on to him a little bit. So that was kind of a shitty, like they didn't really need to do that, but that was the only time that happens. Like throughout the rest of the movie, he's just a gay character and he's respected for what he does and it's fine. Like it's not a huge thing. They don't make a huge thing of it. They don't make fun of him constantly. They're not disrespectful towards him because he's gay. It's just, he's the type of character that a lot of times is gay in real life. He plays a pageant, like, I don't know what you would call it, but he, a pageant grooming guy, I don't know, but, um, pageant coach. Yeah. Coach. That's right. That's the right word. Um, so we have a gay character. The love interest is a Latina guy, I think. Um, I'm not great at like knowing when that's happening, but I think so. Um, and the police chief is played by Ernie Hudson, who is black. So that's nice. And there are other like people of color in other roles throughout this movie. Like it's a decent representation for the year 2000. Um, so, and it's not, there's not any like terrible racist jokes in the movie. 
Um, there's a couple of shitty, there's like one shitty bulimia joke. There's, um, there's a lot of like, just like mostly prop comedy of like Sandra Bullock, like reaching for a donut and Michael Caine taking it out of her hands. Or like at one point she has a donut stuffed in each bra cup and a donut in her underwear and all three get taken away from her. Um, because she's not supposed to eat anything that you would want to eat. So that's a little bit heavy handed for the year 2020, but it's really not terrible. Um, there's just cheesy jokes too. Like Sandra Bullock is stressed in the beginning of the movie. And like, um, so she goes to the bar and she orders a pint and the pint that is presented to her is a pint of Ben and Jerry's ice cream, which it looks like the packaging for Ben and Jerry's has not changed since the year 2000. It looked exactly like a pint that is in my fr freezer right now. <laughs> um, oh, the, the most like sexist joke. I mean, there's several in this movie. Most of them are put there to be fought against, you know? Um, but there's several things like Eric's character grabs Sandra Bullock's ass many times. I'm not even calling her by her Gracie Lou, <laughs> um, grabs Gracie's ass several times in this movie. Okay. Several being, I think two, but still, and plus the way that he talks to her is really like, I don't see you as a girl at all. It's just, there's some moments like as a love interest, that's kind of my biggest pet peeve with this movie, him as a love interest. I don't buy it. Like they seem to be, um, close in a partner's kind of way, partners at work kind of way. And they seem to have a decent rapport with each other and they like give each other shit all the time. And that kind of thing can work into a love interest capacity, but I just didn't feel the chemistry between the two of them. The fact that he is, was so insulting towards her and didn't have an interest in her until she became beauty queen contestant. I just, I don't like him as a love interest and he doesn't remain the love interest in the second movie. So I don't like that they kiss at the end of this movie. I don't think this movie needed that at all. Um, I wish they would have just remained friends. I could have even handled like the, I could have handled the dynamic of their relationship in general, as long as it didn't end with him asking her on a date and her kissing him. Like he could have even still asked her on a date at the end of the movie, which is pretty much how the movie ends. No, it's not how it ends, is it? Nope, it ends with her getting crowned Miss Congeniality. So that's good. At least it doesn't end with a kiss, you know? But anyway, I would have been happy with him asking her on the date and her just like kicking him in the groin or something. Like, no, no, you're not going to be interested in me after I become a beauty contestant. I will find my own man that appreciates me for the way that I am. Anyway, um, yeah. So that could have been better handled, but whatever. Um, so her, her cover name, her undercover name is Gracie Lee, Gracie Lou Freebush, which I think is hilarious. Um, da, da, da. Candace Bergen and William Shatner are the two hosts, like slash people that run the pageant. William Shatner is hilarious in this role. He's just 
you know, he's just kind of dry, ridiculous, cheesy humor. He's not super creepy. Like, in fact, he's not really creepy at all. Like, he makes a couple of, like, a couple of, like, comments as the announcer slash host guy that are just, like, a little bit eh. But you would expect that from a pageant show host. He's not a shitty character. He's not an asshole. They don't portray him being, like, sleazy in any way, which is something that I feel like could have easily been done. So he's fun in this movie. Um, I just, one of my notes is I love the way she eats. I really do. Anytime they show a woman just, like, voraciously eating, I am so in for that. And I'm so in for, like, just all of Sandra Bullock's physical comedy in this movie and every other movie she's ever been in. Watch her closely. She's good. She should get so much more credit than she's gotten. Anyway. <laughs> Um, I like that she calls, so that first, like, dinner date with Michael Caine to see if he would take her on as a project or whatever. She calls him out for being completely antagonistic towards her, which I like, because he's just, like, very, very nagging her. Very nagging her throughout the movie. And, you know, of course, he ends up being proud of her, and he's not a terrible character. But, like, I think they went a little too hard on, like, how shitty he treats her in the beginning. Um, just, I always make a note, since I'm left-handed myself, Sandra Bullock appears to be left-handed, because in the eating scene, she's using her left hand. So, I don't know. She might not be left-handed. Might have been a character choice, but likely not. Um, <laughs> Michael Caine's character calls her Dirty Harriet at one point, which I like. That's a funny joke. Um, <laughs> one note, bomb montage. Ooh, soldering. <laughs> um, Eric also, like, he sort of, like, backhands Michael Caine on the ass at one point, and he's just, it's just sort of, like, a little dismissive gesture of like like tapping someone on the shoulder like hey just trying to get his attention or whatever but what he actually does is as he's walking by him in like a plane scene or something like the Eric character guy is sitting and Michael Caine's character is standing and walking past him so he sort of like backhands him on his ass <laughs> just to get his attention and it's probably just totally ad-libbed or whatever, but I just thought, well, at least Eric smacks Michael Caine on the ass, too. You know, not really, but... Um, okay. Oh, so the the beauty montage scene is... It's interesting. It's not terrible. It's it's a lot of falderall. Like, they have, like, a team of, like, 20 people surrounding her. They're, like, waxing her fucking fingers and doing all kinds of shit. Um, they made it into a total production, and of course there's a reveal of her walking out and being a total bombshell like she is. Um, there's a lot of jokes in the movie about her boobs being too small, and like there's a chicken cutlet situation. Um, you know, whatever. Whole thing. It's fine. Uh, I feel like it was very consensual. I feel like Sandra Bullock was totally on board with like making jokes about how small her breasts are and I think it was I don't think it was too insulting 
or ridiculous. I think it was okay. It was just sort of like, I think it was okay. I think it was like a self-aware, but also I don't really, it's like she was self-conscious about it in the context of beauty pageant, but not like she really was self-conscious. I got the sense that she wasn't really self-conscious about her breast size, that they were just trying, it was drag, you know? It was very much drag, which makes sense. All the drag music in this movie. Um, what else we got? The, it's just cheesy. It's just cheesy. Like at one point, Michael Caine's character during like the whole beauty montage thing, like he's consulting with the like eyebrow shaping person and he's like, eyebrows, there should be two. And it's just like, it's so cheesy. Um, in the like IMDB trivia page, one of the, um, one of the trivia points was that that answer, that famous answer given in the pageant about like, what's your perfect date? April 25th, because it's not too hot and it's not too cold. All you need is a light sweater. <laughs> Iconic. That's my quote of the episode, by the way. Um, quote of the movie. It's gotta be that. I mean, that's the most memorable thing from the whole movie, right? Um, that was an actual answer on a pageant, according to the IMDb trivia. Um, another thing in the IMDb trivia, Sandra Bullock and the guy that plays Eric, I did not write down his name. I wrote down his initials, BB. Very helpful, right? I don't feel like looking it up, so I'll just stop there with BB. SB and BB did all their own fighting in the movie. Um, they had, like, stunt people there in case they needed to be used, but they weren't, according to the IMDb trivia, which is nice. I mean, like, I don't know. I think it's nice. It didn't look fake. I mean, stunt coordinators are important. Stunt workers and coordinators. What is it? Stunt worker? Stunt worker. Is that the word? <laughs> Sounds weird. Stunt worker. <laughs> stunt men and women. Stunt worker. Sure, that works, right? Anyway, they should get paid for what they do. It's incredibly important work, but hopefully they were still paid since they had to be there on set. Hopefully they were still paid the same and they just got to take a day off because Sandy B and BB, whoever that is, <laughs> were doing the thing. Um, oh, this, this was my favorite piece of IMDb trivia for the movie, which is that scene, that super funny scene at the beginning of the movie when Gracie comes home from work and she's like stressed out from the day um, and she like does that whole thing with the wooden spatula because her microwave won't shut when she's putting the TV dinner in there. And then she, um, goes like trips over things in her house because it's super messy. And then she punches the punching bag. The only note that was in like the screenplay or whatever in this, the only note was, uh, Oh, I didn't write it down, but it was basically just Gracie comes home and starts boxing was the note in the script. And all the rest of that was just ad-libbed by Sandra Bullock, which I thought was awesome. Um, I'm gliding here. That was my possible quote of the movie. Because <laughs> um, she was, Michael Caine was trying to teach her how to walk and he was like telling her to glide and they were walking down the streets of New York and she was being really weird. And, um... She has a little New York moment where a cab, like, honks and almost runs her over. And she's like, hey, I'm gliding here. It's funny. Um, 
my next note was, why is she sleeping in a sexy nightgown? So she's at the pageant at this point. I guess it's part of her undercover that she sleeps in a sexy nightgown, but I just think that's kind of like, wouldn't she just be wearing whatever ratty-ass pajamas she would normally wear to bed? Like, come on. Mm -hmm. one, of, one of the other quotes I enjoyed, Eric's character says to Sandy at one point, you're easy to talk to when you're not armed. Ugh, I hated this. Oh, God. Okay. I hate this probably, possibly, as much as when he smacks her on the ass twice in that earlier um, point in the movie. But they had this conversation. When they had that conversation by the pool and, like, she's about to quit because she's frustrated because, you know, like, Michael Caine keeps getting her up in the middle of the night and she hasn't slept in, like, three days and she doesn't get to eat anything she wants to eat. And, like, it's it's hard and stupid. Being in a pageant is hard and stupid. I'm sure that's true to life, even though I've never been in one. But anyway, she's like, she's ready to quit. And he's like trying to convince her to stay. And like, he tells her things that he likes about her. And it's a sweet little genuine moment, but it's completely ruined when he pulls her into the pool because he's swimming in the pool and she comes to find him. And that's how they have the conversation. She's in an evening gown and he pulls her in the pool. And it's not, I'm not pissed because the gown is ruined. I'm pissed because that's a shitty thing to do. Please do not ever pull someone into a pool without their consent. Ever. It's not cute and it's not funny. I hated that. It made me so mad. <laughs> um, so then we get the terrible bulimia joke because she like, she has like a night with the girls where she brings them pizza and beer. And she's just trying to like, you know, be undercover and get some information from them. And, um, one of the things she says is it's light beer and you're going to throw it up anyway. Talking about the pizza. Cause they're all like, Oh, I can't possibly eat the pizza. So that was shitty. Um, that's really the only, like, there's a not really other fat shaming. There's just that whole joke of like, you know, not being able to eat things that you want to eat. But other than that, there's not really fat shaming in this movie. There of course aren't any fat people in the movie, but it's not something that's super shitty except for that bulimia joke right there. Not okay. 2000 Miss Congeniality. Okay. Um, I like the idea of calling red underwear Satan's panties. I think I'm going to do that from now on. I don't think I even have any red underwear, underwear, but I should get some because I'd like to call them my Satan's panties. <laughs> um, Sandra Bullock, like her portrayal as a cop in this movie is really well done. Like they show her as being very competent, more competent than everyone else, even though people just don't listen to her. Um, which is probably, unfortunately, very realistic portrayal of women cops. Um, I really hate that Eric didn't defend her at that moment where everybody was, like, ready to, like, pin the whole thing on some patsy. And um, she was like, no, I, I really think we need to stay. I think there's still something going on here. I think it would benefit us to stay to follow this through or whatever. And they're all like, nope, we're going to pull out. And they defer to Eric. They're like, do you think like, they just think that she's crazy, that she's just a crazy woman and she doesn't know what she's talking about. And so they're like, they ask him, is there any reason that we should say stay or something like that? And he's like, no, he, def he doesn't defend her in that whole situation. Um, and he betrays her actually. 
And like this is another reason why they should never he should never have been a love interest for her. It just fucking pisses me off. Um Vic is proud of her. <laughs> um he's Michael Caine character. She actually so at this point, like the whole FBI force pulls out of this situation and they all go home because they think case closed. And she decides to stay because she thinks something else is going on. And um, they tell her that she has to turn in her badge if she wants to stay. Like, they're ordering her to leave. And the whole thing with her is that she's not a rule follower. She does what she thinks is right. And there's establishing scenes in the very beginning, which is why she was, I didn't describe that, but why she was so stressed out in the beginning is because she made a choice to save somebody that they were about to arrest because he started choking and so she made the choice against them telling, they told her not to save him. He was like choking to death on a piece of food and she wanted to give him the Heimlich and they, anyway, the whole thing with her is that she's a rule breaker when she, she knows when to break the rules, which is exactly what you should do. You should know the rules and then know when to break the rules. That's how it works. That's how it goes. That's how I live my life as a librarian. <laughs> um, so once everybody abandons her, like Michael Caine leaves her because he was told by the FBI force that he wouldn't get paid for his work if he stayed with her. You know, everybody just betrays her and leaves her by herself. So she actually gets to the top five. She ends up being runner up in the whole pageant, which is kind of unbelievable, but she gets there by herself. Like it was supposed to be rigged that she would get to the top 10, but once the FBI pulled out, she was somehow still in the pageant, but it was no longer rigged. So she actually got there on her own. Like she actually did all this shit on her own and Michael Caine and Eric come back and, um, help her out in the end because they decide that she's right but anyway the movie is pretty like low stakes I mean like it doesn't have like a lot of movies they'll be like you know the third act thing that like the two your two favorite characters are fighting and it's awful and you just hate it until they make up again there's really not that high of stakes in this movie it's just like the whole blip of them abandoning her and then she stayed in the pageant like it wasn't super stressful she was fine she was fine on her own she doesn't need them you know um i don't know it just was not a stressful movie it's just fun basically it's fun with some shitty jokes here and there but overall not too many if you're not really paying attention with a critical eye you can just sit back and enjoy this movie <laughs> you really can even in 2020 it's really not I would say it's overall not a problematic movie. Um, Cute Lady Liberty Dance. I did enjoy it. I don't know why I just did. I like, I like pageant movies, dance movies, anything where there's like some kind of competition. Like I'd like to have time to review Bring It On because it actually did come out in the year 2000 and that's another movie that I just enjoy. Um, that I've seen a lot more times in Miss Congeniality, by the way. And watching any pageant movie always makes me want to watch Drop Dead Gorgeous, which is a great pageant mockumentary movie. And I actually haven't seen it in a long time. Um, or maybe, did I watch it last year? Did I review it for you guys? 
I don't know. It came out in 1999, so it would have been one that was on my list to review for you guys last year, and I probably just didn't do it because I'm an underachiever. Um, oh, there's there's like a tiny little moment of lesbian representation in this movie that wasn't badly done. Like it could have it could have been better. Like because I think it was the yeah it was the um, Miss New York. She sort of like once they announce the top five, she sort of like jumps up on stage and she's like, I want to say to all you lesbians out there, I made it to the top 10 and you can too, or something. And then there's like her girlfriend in the audience has a big sign up um, to support her and says that she loves her. And then like somebody in the camera crew in the background, like a guy backstage says, can we say lesbians? And she's like, what does she say? She's, she just comes back with, you got a problem with that? So it's like, you get three women in the course of like 15 seconds, like self-identifying as lesbians. And it's just a cute little moment of, hey, lesbians exist and they're okay too. I mean, that's, that's all it was, was just like a little sprinkling of lesbianism. But, you know, take it where you can get it, right? So that was nice. Um, the bomb, like... Candace Bergen's character, like, she has her son, like, all those montages of, like, bomb making and shit was so that he could, um, put the bomb in a crown, in the crown. So they switch the crown out at one point, and he's, like, backstage with a remote, and as soon as the, um, as soon as Miss United States gets crowned, he pushes the button, and anyway. So the whole last part of the pageant is like Sandra Bullock. She's figured out that it's in the crown and no one's listening to her as per usual or else this whole thing could have been avoided. And it's such a hilarious scene. It reminds me of Jawbreaker. There's a moment where she's, when she's crowned prom queen or whatever, that whole, like her slow motion with the makeup running down her face and her like whipping her head back and forth, crying. It's so iconic to me. Um, Rose McGowan's character, you know what I'm talking about. Come on, Jawbreaker. Yeah. You guys know what I'm talking about? Anyway, this reminds me of that, even though Jawbreaker probably came out after this. Um, did it? No, it did not. It came out in 1999. So these two movies were probably in production around the same time, actually. But, I mean, that's kind of an iconic thing in general. Just like, um, beauty queen slash prom queen tragedy moment. I mean, it goes all the way back to Carrie, right? I just love mo any movie that has beauty queen slash prom queen tragedy moments. I'm in for it, apparently. And this scene was done really well. There's all kinds of fucking chaos going on. Like, Sandra Bullock is trying to, like, communicate to people in the pandemonium of, like, the crowd um, cheering and everything whenever um, Miss Rhode Island gets crowned. Um, and, you know, she's, like, having to punch people in the face so they get out of her way because she's trying to get the crown off her head, but everybody thinks she's just going crazy because she didn't win. And... The whole time William Shatner is like, <laughs> what is he saying? She's beauty. She's grace. She's Miss United States. She's friends with everyone. She walks on beaches. She walks children in nature. Okay, he's not saying those things. But 
my god, it was fucking hilarious because he just didn't stop. He just kept with his voiceover as if nothing was happening and people were getting punched out and screaming and crying. And like There was just total pandemonium and he's just super dry, just like, she takes her crown, she holds it high. You know, it was just amazing. It was amazing. So funny. And anyway, then there's, you know, she puts... Candace Bergen in the police car and like, you know, they have a little moment and she tells her off and kind of, it's, it's not too overblown, but, and then stupid Eric asks her out on a date and she kisses him. At least she kissed him and he didn't like surprise kiss her or anything. Um, not that he didn't surprise pull her into the pool or surprise smack her on the ass twice. Um, don't like him like he he's other than that he was charming like he wasn't a terrible actor he apparently matt dillon was considered for that role so thank god he didn't get it although he would have been more charismatic unfortunately that's probably true this guy didn't really have what it takes completely but i'm glad that he is at least a person of color and he had some charm to him but whatever i didn't really like him I didn't really like him. Um, anyway, I'm just mad because like, I'm never going to be on board with someone that surprise pulls you into a pool and has no respect for you until you're super hot and smacks you on the ass. You know, just never, never going to have that. And I could have like, there was a point where I gave him the benefit of the doubt with the whole ass smacking thing. I was like, well, they have kind of a bro relationship and bros sometimes smack each other on the ass in athletic situations, you know, and they were like wrestling when that happened. But, you know, the fact that they put a love interest element into the, their dynamic means that he was always somewhat attracted to her. And maybe if he smacked her on the ass, but he always thought of her as a friend and never was attracted to her, and she didn't seem super offended by him doing it anyway, I could have been like, well, that's just part of their weird friendship relationship. I could have accepted that. But anyway, enough of me talking about that. <laughs> um, let's see. Yep, that's it. And then the movie ends with, you know like some private ceremony that she gets drugged to as she's trying to leave and she's back in her FBI clothes and um, they're getting ready to leave and go home or whatever. I forgot where they were based. Or they were in San Antonio for the pageant, San Antonio, Texas, but I can't remember. Like, were they going back to New York? Probably. Most movies are set in New York, let's just say yes. Um, so they were about to go home and uh, Michael Caine comes out and like, under false pretenses of like there's some incendiary device they've just discovered blah 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 so he gets her inside for like the miscongeniality private ceremony that the pageant um girls were having which is a cool thing that pageants do you know miscongeniality is voted on by the other people in the pageant which i think is cool um so that's like the real winner you know, somebody that's actually likable by all the other girls. And so she got voted as congeniality, the title of the movie. And it was just a sweet little moment where she goes up on stage and like talks about how it was an important experience for her and blah, blah, blah. And it's just sweet. At the end of the day, this movie is sweet. It's like somebody that 
never really felt accepted by men or women growing up. And she, through, you know, a weird circumstance of being in a beauty pageant, which she had total disdain for in the beginning of the movie. In fact, there's a, there's a couple of shitty moments that I didn't even mention where, like, she meets a love interest of Eric's character when she's having her pint of Ben and Jerry's at the bar. And that's when the movie first passes the Bechtel test, by the way. I think so. I think she was named at that point. I had forgotten whether or not she was introduced with a name. And I didn't feel like getting up to rewind the VHS tape because I was still watching the VHS tape at that point in the movie. Anyway, I'm pretty sure she was named. So I'm pretty sure that's the first time it passes the Bechtel test where um, she like shakes her hand and then she just is dismissive towards her. I don't remember exactly what she said, but she just kind of implied that she was stupid and that, like, she was a slut. She's kind of slut-shamey towards her, but it was in an underhanded way that we were supposed to believe the character didn't even pick up on because she was too stupid. So, that sucked, but at least the movie wasn't trying to tell you that all, all beautiful women are stupid. The movie wasn't trying to tell you that because we're in a pageant later and those people were given... I mean, they weren't fully characterized, you know, but they still were human beings that weren't portrayed as being total stupid, beautiful caricatures, you know? Um, there was also, I didn't even mention this, but that like fucking computer program at that point in the movie where they're trying to decide who they were going to put into the pageant undercover and they had some weird computer program where they could pull up the profile pictures of different people on the FBI force and like put them in a bikini which of course is not a program that would have existed in the year 2000 it might exist now but it wouldn't have been that realistic even now <laughs> um that whole fucking scene was just terrible I hated it I hated it I didn't hate it quite as much as um, Sandy Beebe and pulled into the pool. That's just, you don't do that, okay? You don't do that. If you take nothing away from this podcast episode, please don't ever pull someone into a pool, okay? Just don't. Not even if you guys are BFFs, unless you consent to it beforehand. Like, let's play a game where whoever pulls the other one into the pool first wins. In that case, you can pull someone into a pool, but... Not unless they've, consent they've consented to playing that fucking game, okay? I will never consent to playing that fucking game. I will jump in a pool when I want to jump in a pool. <laughs> anyway, let's go ahead and... I think that's basically all I have to say. Um, it's a fun movie. I like it. I own it. Um, I enjoy watching it. Anytime y'all want to watch Miss Congeniality, I'll watch it with you. Let's do it. Okay. Um, ratings for the movie... Uh, I always like to pick an object that I'd like to pull straight out of the movie or TV episode or whatever and keep for myself. This movie didn't really have, like, I didn't really like the style of the year 2000. There weren't really, in my opinion, great set pieces or anything. I mean, Sandra Bullock's apartment was interesting just for, like, it, it looked like a messy person's house that like she really did use is just like a place where she slept at the end of the day so okay I was gonna say donuts because the only thing that I really wanted throughout the movie was every time she was being denied eating something that she wanted to eat I wanted to eat it for her in solidarity 
I was going to choose that as my object of the episode, but as I was imagining Sandy's apartment in my head, I think I want her boombox. Just because it was an old 90s stereo. And, you know, of course I used to have something like that, and it would be fun to have something like that again. So let's say that. Um, outfit of the episode, again, I don't really like the style from the year 2000, and this movie didn't really have anything that stood out to me. Like, I was sitting down after I had stopped watching the movie, and I was trying to decide, what is my outfit of the movie? What is my coveted, what is the outfit that I covet from this movie? And I don't think there was anything. Um, I don't think there was anything at all. I kind of liked when they were doing that, like, Lady Liberty dance thing where all the contestants were wearing that same outfit with like the Lady Liberty crown thing. I kind of liked the crown. Maybe that's my object. Either Sandy B's boombox, a donut, or the Lady Liberty crown. That's my object. I mean, that outfit was okay because it was kind of like a weird like, combination between army green and mint green. It was kind of in that middle space. It was kind of a weird muddy color that isn't used that often anymore. It's, it's very specific to like late 90s, early 2000s is when that color was used for things. So I did kind of enjoy that dress. But I think my favorite outfit from the whole movie is the outfit that Sandra Bullock was wearing when she was doing her talent, which was like the, what is it, like a Germanic milkmaid? Swedish milkmaid? I don't know. I enjoy that outfit because it was just ridiculous and fun. Um, so I think if I was going to wear anything from this movie, it would be that outfit, um, which is hilarious because it's way too short for something that I would feel comfortable in, but it was cute. Um, I also didn't mention that whole self-defense thing. I like that her talent was, she was just so funny every time, like she was on stage and in the, in the, um, pageant, like she was just cute. She had like quick-witted answers. It was very draggy. Um, I enjoyed that, and I enjoyed the whole, um, her teaching self-defense thing where she was just basically beating up the Eric character, and I just, I liked seeing it, so it was good. <laughs> um, MVP of the episode, or of the movie, I mean, it has to be Sandra Bullock, because she produced this movie. She starred in this movie, and she was amazing in this movie, and she is at least 60% what makes this movie good. It's her. It's all her. Like, I mean, sometimes I like to try not to pick Buffy, the main character of the show that I have this podcast based around, as the MVP most of the time, but when it's a movie, that's different. And there weren't, I mean, other characters were okay in this movie. They were fine, but none of them were up to Sandra Bullock caliber status. So, of course, she's the MVP. So, quote of the episode... I don't know, I said it before, and I said, this is the quote, so I don't remember, but, oh yeah, the April 25th thing. <laughs> April 25th is my favorite date because it's not too hot and it's not too cold and all you need is a light sweater. And that's probably not the exact quote because I didn't write it down, but that's the idea. That's the, the quote idea. <laughs> um, five by five ratings, treatment of women in this movie. It does pass the Bechtel test. Um, oh yeah, there was this great moment that I didn't even mention that night that she brought the pizza and the beer and she hung out with some of the other contestants and they went out to like a club and like had some cool conversations or whatever. Um, 
there was a moment where Miss Rhode Island, um, Cheryl, I think her character name was, she was talking about getting assaulted by um, a teacher or something. I forget the context of the story, but basically she was describing sexual assault in a way that women will often describe sexual assault. They will describe it like, well, I know this happens to a lot of people and like, you know, kind of dismisses it even though they feel insecure and hurt by it. Um, and Sandra Bullock kind of like, she goes, no, no, wait, wait, did you report this asshole? That shouldn't have happened to you. Like, it's not super dwelled on. It's not like, you know, they could have spent more time on that moment. But I liked that it was just kind of, she very much just like stopped everything, took her seriously, listened to her. And I mean, she didn't literally say, I'm sorry this happened to you. But it was, that was the vibe, you know? So that was a nice little moment because that's something that like you wouldn't necessarily get in the year 2000 most of the time. Um, anyway, so forgot to mention that, but that was a good moment. Treatment of women in this movie. I mean, there's like that element of sexism that's just inherent in pretty much everything um, in pop culture, even today. But it really wasn't terrible, and that's probably because there were a couple of women writers in this movie and produced by Sandra Bullock. So, like, there were women behind the scenes in this movie, at least to some extent. So, even the sexism was kind of played for, this is something that we're going to subvert most of the time. So, it's not, I mean, I'm going to judge it through the lens of pop culture in the year 2000. I think through that lens, this movie is a four. So I'm going to give it a four for that. Through 2020 lens, it's more of like a two and a half or three, but I'm going to judge it based on the year 2000, just arbitrarily. Like my scores are arbitrary all the time anyway. So, and then overall enjoyability of the movie. I mean, it's a good time. Is it my favorite movie of all time? No. Is it in my top 25? Probably not, but I enjoy it. So I'm going to give it another four. It would get a five if it was like one of my top 25 movies of all time. So four times four. What is that? 16. Okay. This movie gets a 16. I enjoy it. It's a good time. Watch it if you haven't seen it in a long time. It will pleasantly surprise you. Um, okay. That's it. So I will be back. I don't know. Hopefully in the next two weeks. That is my hope that in the next two weeks, I will be back to talk about High Fidelity. And this is one that this movie I have not seen in a while. It used to be my favorite movie of all time. Like years ago on my blog, I guess I should probably save this story for when I'm actually talking about it. But years and years ago on my blog, I like went through all the movies that I considered my favorite movies and like took notes on them and scored them. I had a whole scoring system. Um, and this one scored the highest high fidelity scored the highest. I am 95% sure that this movie is going to piss me off in 2020. I have not seen it in at least, uh, I think the last time I saw it, I had had people over to my house and it is the house that I live in now. So it has to have been in the last five years. 
but I think it was close to like like it was four four and a half years ago was the last time I saw it and at that point it pissed me off and I don't think I've seen it since and it's a movie that I basically have memorized and I've seen a bajillion times but now that High Fidelity the series exists the Hulu series oh here's your homework if you do want to like really be a part of the conversation Watch at least an episode or two of High Fidelity, the Hulu series that just came out like this year and watch High Fidelity, the movie or read the book. Those are all things I have experience about. Those are all things I will likely talk about in the next episode. So I'll be back hopefully within the next two weeks to talk about High Fidelity. Um, again, if you want to vote on another movie from the year 2000 that I can review, before September 26th when we talk about the first episode of season five of Buffy. Go vote on my Patreon poll, patreon.com slash Ray. It is a pinned post, so it should show up at like the top of the page. You do not have to be a patron to vote on my poll, and I will prioritize anything that is voted on. So that's why I'm um, talking about High Fidelity next. And I'll talk about anything else that you want me to talk about. I'll figure it out. I'll make time for it. If you vote, I will make it happen. <laughs> Pretty much. Because at this point, I have had two votes on that poll. One, two. Two votes on that poll. Um, so at this point, you vote for it. I'm likely going to talk about it. <laughs> um, anyway. So I will see you guys in the next one. Thank you so much for your incredible patience with me over promising and under producing y'all are the best and i will talk to you in the next one bye